Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk, your weekly podcast book club. This is the fourth episode of Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmis, and we have one more episode to come next week. So, Katie, what did we just read? We start this section watching Mad continue to grow up, learning about her childhood. She's trying to understand who she is and where she comes from. A lot of this is fueled by a controversial school project about constructing your family tree, where a controversial kindergarten teacher is trying to find out all the drama. So she has some big conversations about who her family is, where she comes from, what God is, and she meets a reverend during this time. She's trying to find out a little bit more about the home that her dad grew up in, and this reverend takes a liking to her and starts to help her out. Later on in this section, we found out the reverend was her dad's pen pal that he talked to for years, which is wild. And then we move on to kind of present day Elizabeth talking about talking on her show and using it to kind of reach women in a new way. She's able to talk about chemical bonds, but she's really talking in code about relationships and how women should handle them. She's encouraging the fellow women to follow their dreams, to give themselves credit, to be empowered, which is very sweet to see. And then at the same time, we see kind of the other kid in Mad's class, Amanda. Her dad is the producer of Elizabeth's show. She also has this family tree assignment. And we find out that she's really adopted and her lone parent, her dad, Walter, is not her real parent. So a lot happening with how we make families and what they mean to us in this section. There's also so much extra plot that happened. It's actually kind of wild how much is going on in this book. But also they find a way to split off supper at six because her ex-boss's boss has a heart attack as he's trying to like sexually harass her in the workplace. And she pulls oh out God. a huge kitchen knife. I fully forgot about that. And you know what's annoying is I actually flipped back through this section, just like reading it very quickly with my eyes, like one of the main plot points I could do this summary. And I forgot that she he literally tries to assault her. She pulls out a knife and he has a heart attack. And she doesn't really like out him to ever. She doesn't like really, you know, she gets what she wants out of it. And they essentially get free reign to make supper at six, whatever her and Walter want it to be, which is going to be, I think, super successful. There is so much plot. I feel like every other sentence and paragraph in this book is plot. And I kind of feel like it would be a good movie. I'm not sure if it's a good book. <laughs> I mean, I like it, but I'm also like a lot's happening and also nothing is happening. I've never seen it, but it kind of reminds me tonally of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. I've Did never seen it. My it? mother loves okay. it. Okay. Highly recommends every time I'm there. Where it's like a woman defying the odds ahead of her time. So talented. And yeah, I guess this was similar to what we talked about last week where things just like work out for her and she's like, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, that's fine. Oh, you're not really going to fire me. I told everybody that we were going to be fired. And like while he was having a heart attack, she just like helps herself to going through his papers to find that, oh, they have all these syndication offers, um, which I think is insinuating that she maybe waited a little bit to call the ambulance. Yes, she was like, you know, that, yeah. you know how slow they are. Oh, I think she definitely waited to call. She was like, fuck this guy, which fair. Absolutely. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Again, I feel like it works out for her. And I think she goes through these like 
small trials and tribulations where it's like a scene that's an issue for her, but she always ends up fine. Like, and I feel like there's kind of a lot of, um, almost like magical realism in this, which I know we've talked about last time, but like another plot point of this is like, of course, this random reverend who, you know, knows mad and is helping her is also like her dad's pen pal, which makes sense because they're in the town. Calvin moves to this town and goes to work at Hastings because of this pen pal telling him that this was a great town to be rowing in. You could, you know, the weather was great. So the plot's connected there and it works, but it just seems like everything is just kind of like working out. I feel like it would be like I said last time too, like a cozy show of like a woman making it, but I don't know if it's like, I don't know what I'm like reading to find out next. Like I feel like I could end the book right now and be like, okay, they made it. The show is syndicated. The central issue I have with this book is that it tells us that women specifically, but people in general are not products of their time And somehow Elizabeth exists in a world with extremely severe norms around gendered expression and like expression in general and somehow is like completely impervious to all of them as if she was taken from 2022 and dropped into 1950. And I just like our values and our ideas are so socially determined and constructed. Like the idea that this person existed in my mind is like a fantasy this is like before the women's liberation movement. And she's like, I'm an atheist. I have no problem with it. I have no like qualms about sex. I have no qualms about my position. I think motherhood is easy. I'm like doing all of these things. And I have no, like she has no self-esteem issues over it. She doesn't feel out of place. She's just like a fully formed person that reminds me of like what you and I would do if we were back in the 1950s. But that's because we were not born in the 1950s. Or 40s or 30s when she would have been born. That is such an interesting point. I feel like we have been talking a lot about like societal expectations for people and how those do like the society you're raised in does seep into how you see yourself and how you see others and being able to separate yourself from that. People do it in every generation, right? You have the people who are the kind of trailblazers who think about that, who stand up for it before anybody else does. And that's how we make progress. But it just does seem it does seem like either Elizabeth is that person. She is the trailblazer. We're reading a book about like a famous woman who did this or like the fact that she's just kind of an average woman who is unapologetic about these controversial views is a little bit unbelievable. I wonder how many women in this time talked about things like that or thought of things like that with their friends or their, you know, people who agreed with them compared to like, I just feel like nobody would be doing this shit on TV, doing this to people they didn't know, doing this in their workplace. We're like, women had no power. Like, what would you do? You know what I mean? Like so much of what she does. I don't know. It is interesting to think about what you're saying. And that like, I think there, there definitely was this growing discontent around housewives in the 1950s, but it wasn't until feminist authors started writing about it that like made everyone realize this was like a shared issue that like all of the women were feeling this way and so someone had to be the first person to say like you're not alone we're all feeling this way it's a really hard job we're feeling unfulfilled our husbands treat us like crap our kids treat us like crap like someone needed to do that consciousness raising but again like that's not her she just feels like she doesn't have any impetus to do that she's just like I want to do chemistry and along the way I happen to have these like radically different views 
that I don't know where they come from. And I feel like that's why it's like really hard to connect to her because even in 2022, you know, me thinking about taking a job that would be difficult because my partner would have to sacrifice for my career is incredibly difficult for me to do. I struggle with it every single day and it's 2022. Like what the fuck? (laughs) So like the idea that she wouldn't have any consternation about it is really, um, it's hard to relate to. I think we don't really see her struggle through the development of any of these beliefs. So a lot of historical fiction that I really enjoy, and it'd be interesting also maybe to like ask, I don't know if my mom about this, who reads a lot of historical fiction, specifically centering strong women. That's like her genre, World War II specific. You're in the UK, even better. Anyways, so like she reads these specific books, but like the women are in that book questioning the beliefs and maybe one belief throughout the book is the questioning and then the changing of a belief. Like that's the tension, right? Is like, this is what I have, this is what I've been taught and here's how I feel like that doesn't really work for me, but I can't believe it because this is the society and they work through that until eventually that tension is like them realizing that they can push back in some way that they can fight for what they believe in in some small way. It's not every belief. It's like one small thing they're changing their opinion on. And you see them question it, not because they're not strong and independent and wouldn't be progressive in today's world, but because of the society that they are raised in. And so I feel like that's the thing is like, she just has all these beliefs and we don't even see her struggle with them. She's just like born being 2022, basically progressive. And maybe even like beyond, I mean, Uh, Yeah, I do still think there's a lot of taboos that she lives in and feels no issue towards. It also reminds me a lot of her daughter, Mad, who similarly is like a fully formed human being at five years old, who is smarter than I am currently, who is very curious, precocious, well-spoken, and it reinforces this idea that like intelligence is something that is innate that she was just born with. She's just born as this insane product of two geniuses. And that's really hard to relate to. There's no character flaw. Um, If there is a character flaw, it's like not a relatable one, which is just like, wow, Elizabeth as a woman always says the truth, even when she suffers the consequences for it. But at this point in the book, she hasn't really suffered any consequences. She's like wildly successful. I think it just really does make the characters unrelatable. And I think that's why all of these small things like the reverend or the dog feel like magical realism because the whole book feels a little bit kind of unbelievable at this point. Even like if she had referenced some of the feminist texts around the time, like the second sex came out in 1949. And that was like the first book that was like housewives are unhappy. Maybe if she had like referenced that or had like a strong mentor But also she's like scoring really high on the ACEs score of like trauma, parental neglect, abuse. Like there's a lot going on. And the fact that she seems like totally impervious to all of that. It's just I don't care. I don't care about her. I guess that's the problem. I should be like happy for her. But it also feels like very like white feminist hero who has no flaws at all and who's somehow perfect and not reflective and not dependent on anyone else. She's going to girl boss her way to the top. That's how it's just like, damn, no, that's not how it works. I agree. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of flaws with the development of their characters where I don't really care either. I don't think about them when I'm not reading this book. I think occasionally she has badass moments. I think there's lots of women who have badass moments. I'm thinking of the hidden figures movie. Like there's just a lot that I feel like is kind of missing from telling the story. A couple of things I think the book does really well though, to kind of pivot is has some has a lot of discourse and conversation and discussion about 
things like gender roles and about inequities in society through kind of a fun lens. A lot of them are through conversations with Mad um, or about Mad, which I think is an interesting way to have those kind of conversations. And I think they're particularly well done, but I'm thinking specifically of the safety patrol conversation when they're talking about like Mad gets in trouble in school again, not because she's reading a book on cannibalism this time, but because she wants to be on safety patrol and they say no, because she's not a boy. And Elizabeth's like, but she's the tallest again, like pretending like she doesn't understand the society that she lives in. And they're like, yeah, her height's an issue too. It's making the boys feel bad, which I did think was like hilarious. You're like, yes, the existence, the mere existence of a girl who is what they want to be is upsetting them. Not far off from realism. I don't know what that rant was. I'm so sorry. Should I relate that back to something? (laughs) No, it's fine. Yeah, I, there are funny moments. It definitely is like a very light book, but then that's also part of why it's so weird. Like she gets sexually assaulted multiple times in this book and it's just like, ah, everyone knows that chefs always have their knives on them. And you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) She almost had to kill someone. I do feel like it really downplays these hard situations and these hard like realities of life. For example, the other conversation I was going to say that Matt has with the priest is she's or the reverend or whatever. I don't know what the difference between a priest and a reverend is, but with the reverend, he is trying to reassure her. And he's like, your relatives and you know who you're from doesn't make you who you are. You choose how to live your life. Again, pretty radical for a reverend at this time. And then Matt is like, but what about slaves? They can't choose. Yeah, big questions, Matt. Like we all have a lot of them, but like that's just glossed over and we just move on from it. Yeah, Matt is like a philosopher, a social critic, a feminist, probably writing a book all before truly being able to be in kindergarten. (laughs) All without having an involved mother and her biggest source of nurture is Harriet, who is not those things. So I am a little confused. Right. And a dog. I do want to say the other thing is there are a lot of moments in Supper at Six where I feel like Elizabeth is standing up for the average housewife. She is talking to them in code. She is speaking to them in a way that that values who they are as people and their place in society. She's encouraging them to follow their dreams and like validating their existence. I think there's a lot that can be heartwarming in those moments. Do I think it's enough for this plot to be captivating? I don't know, but I wanted to just point that out as a positive. Um, well, I'm right back at you with a negative, which is... That's why I keep having to say positives because you keep saying negatives. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. The yin and the yang of this podcast. Um, you did say this earlier where it's like, it does feel like a very small, like, closed world where Mrs. F- Mrs. Frask or Miss Frask is also the priest's, like, new typist. And it's like, how many people are in this town? Ten? That is so weird. Are there ten people in this town? It does all feel a little bit too interconnected, like they're connected for the point of the plot. But is it necessary? The other, sorry, this is circling back, but the other issue that keeps coming up is that clearly there was a lot of abuse that Calvin suffered at this boy's home. And they keep referencing these boys' homes as places of like abuse and pedophilia. And then they're like, oh, you know, priests. And it's like, uh, what the fuck? (laughs) That is like very flippant nods to like rampant levels of abuse that is supposedly an open secret in this world and I feel like it's just kind of in poor taste 
Yeah, I definitely don't disagree. Again, like, I don't know where that's going, if there's something that's going to come out, because it's definitely clear that, like, Calvin had a really horrible experience and he doesn't talk about it. And, like, but he's dead, so he can't talk about it anymore. And it's just, I don't know. I don't get this whole, like, priest, priest thing that's going on. We have, like, the good pen pal and then the man running all saints who is a liar and a con artist and like is totally fine with all these abuses that are happening in the name of god that's really difficult to stomach for me i'm just like where are we going where is this journey taking me there are so many ways we could end this and i'm just like how are we how i don't know right yeah it does feel a little bit like a like a, a, a lighthearted TV sitcom almost. But then that's why these like really dark themes are sort of unsettling. Right. I feel like that's the hardest part about this book. It kind of in like an ancillary, ancillary way reminds me of a book I read called Kitchen Front, which I loved, which is about four women who enter in a cooking competition in World War II. And it, but they are like fully formed characters and they're not like, it, it's not unbelievable in this sense. And it's not light, but it is heartwarming, even in the wake of like clearly an awful wartime book. It does it in a different way where this seems almost flippant about these really hard situations that they're not impacting the people in this book in a way that makes you feel deeply for the characters. This is already going towards our talk talk discussion and maybe a book we can talk more about, but it reminds me of the Midnight Library and the topic of suicide and I think that book is also similarly sort of whimsical and has magical realism, but it takes that topic really seriously and it doesn't throw in a bunch of other random things. So I think that's sort of my uh, comparison of like, we can still be whimsical and not brush over some bigger questions. But I will say this book is everywhere all over people's like favorite books of 2022. So maybe it's like really going to bring it all home for us. Yeah. We're ready to find we out. We will find out next week. Before we go to Talk Talk, every second to last episode, we announce what book we're reading next. So you have plenty of time to go to bookshop.org, to go to your local bookstore and pick up a copy so you can start reading with us in a couple of weeks. So Erica, what are we reading next? Our next book club read is going to be Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. This is a book about Miri and her wife, Leah. Leah returns from a deep sea mission that ended in catastrophe, but she is not the same. She's not feeling like herself. Whatever happened there, um, we don't know, but it didn't go well. And she certainly brought that all back home with her. So I think this is the struggle between these two women. And when the person that you love goes through something traumatic and change and grief and loss and some deep sea mystery. I can't wait to read it. I'm excited. And also the ocean terrifies me. So I'm excited to get a little closer to that beer in this book. <laughs> okay. So we will have a special episode. So next week we're finishing lessons in chemistry. Then we'll have a special episode for you. The following week we'll start reading that book. So get your copy of our wives under the sea. Talk, 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 talk. Katie, what have you been reading? Oh my God, nothing. Um, I got a new job, so I've just been like 
getting the finishing with this one, et cetera. Um, I read like a how to make the most of your first 90 days and a couple of other like intro to a new job books. I still have not finished looking for Alaska yet, which was the other book besides lesson in chemistry that I was reading per usual. When I start to get into a reading slump, I pick up a cute Christmassy rom-com. So I am reading kiss her once me by Alison Cochran. It's about Ellie Oliver. She had her dream job. Her life was going perfectly on Christmas Eve. She had like a storybook meet cute with a woman at a bookstore and she fell in love in this one day kind of whirlwind romance. But the next morning, the girl leaves. That's it. She never sees her again. Then Ellie's life falls apart quickly after. And she's just really getting through the days, working at her local coffee shop, barely making it. Her landlord, Andrew, comes and essentially asks Ellie to be in a marriage of convenience or a fake marriage for a lot of money so he can get his inheritance. And of course, when they show up to his family's cabin for Christmas, his sister is none other than... The woman who she fell in love with at a bookstore a year ago, but she wants the $200,000 because she doesn't want to get evicted. And it's like very drama. And she loves, you know, she still loves that woman from the year before, but she's also faking it with Andrew. Um, and there's like another love triangle involved. And so it's all very messy and Christmassy. And of course takes part in a beautiful million dollar mansion in on Mount hood. So it's cute so far. It's definitely whimsical. Fun. And just in time for Christmas, Christmas season. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to end it, though. But it does say it was perfect for fans of Written in the Stars and One Day in December, two rom-coms that I really did love that were very cozy if you need a good Christmas read. Okay, good to know. I finished two books. Good job, Wow. Thanks. I finished Midnight Library. I got, like, 99% of the way done and then literally just tossed my Kindle aside and picked up a new book. And then I realized, oh, I never finished it. We will talk much more about my feelings about Midnight Library, um, maybe on a special episode coming up, but it was fine. That's how I feel about it. It was fine. <laughs> okay. I then read Malibu Rising because I was really feeling Taylor Jenkins read after Carrie Soto was back. This It was fun to read Malibu Rising because Carrie Soto is in it and it plays like a non, uh, you know, trivial minor character. Um, it was great. I mean, it's about a family of surfers. It was much more spread out because there's four main characters, these siblings, and it's their story, but it's also the story of their mom and their dad. Um, it was a good book. It wasn't as great as Carrie Soto is back, but I love surfing and it just got me really excited about going to maybe Costa Rica in 2023 and getting into surfing more and lots of California content, which was very exciting. That is exciting. Can we go to Costa Rica? Yeah, if you want to. Well, Dan and I are. It's supposed to be romantic. Sorry, actually. Oh, my God, I should fine. Okay, you. Can we go to like. <laughs> Oops. It's supposed to be romantic. How annoying. But that does sound lovely. This girl I know is there right now and is obsessed. Everyone who goes to Costa Rica is like obsessed with it as soon as they come back. I've been in Nicaragua, which is close. Um, and yeah, it's great. Little paradise. Yay. But yeah, and then I'm going to read Beartown next. I already have it in my bag to take with me to dance class. So, oh my gosh. Yay. Okay. I can't wait for you to read it and tell me what you think about it. I just love the storytelling in there. So, that's the mindset. Can't wait. Okay. Well, see you next week. Can't wait to find out what happens in Lessons in Chemistry. Honestly, like what's going to happen? Genuinely, I'm curious. Couldn't tell Lots. you. Lots, right. I'm sure. Literally. Lots for the zots. Okay.
<laughs> oh my god that was pretty good <laughs> Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. Katie! <laughs> you must stop. With what? The da da da? I didn't even do it. You did! No, I just went da 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 da. It's doing the. <laughs> <laughs>